Welcome to Don't Box Me In, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello, and welcome to another week of Don't Box In. I am your host, Lana Reed, and today we get to figure out if we are living or just existing and the difference in between. And if you don't like the answer to the question, we'll learn how to make some changes. My guest today has struggled with just existing and has now learned how to live life and is here today with us to share how he did it. Kamanzi Constable calls himself the former bread guy who has now found out how to live life by his own design. He is the author of the books, Are You Living or Existing? and Tales of the Everyday Working Man and Woman. And I'm so happy that he's made time for me today and he's on the show. Uh, Kamanzi, welcome to Don't Box Me In. Hey, Lana. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Likewise, likewise. Thank you. Thank you for hanging out with me. Um, you know, I was on your uh, website and... Um, you know, I read that you started business when you were 19 years old. And when most people hear that, you know, they automatically say, you know, wow, what a wonderful thing. You know, that's the, the foundation for, you know, a success story there to be such a youngster and start um, a business. Can you tell me what type of business did you start actually at the age of 19? So it was a service business, mm-hmm. uh, technically, where the guys that delivered, um, well, I won't say what kind of bread it was, um, maybe for legal reasons, but they delivered um, a pretty popular um, brand name bread. They were independent contractors for the company. So the company gave them 20% of the profits, but they had to get their own truck, all their own stuff. Where my business came in was these guys, when they wanted to go on vacation, they couldn't just hand this business to any guy off the street because to buy into this franchise, they had to pay $250,000. So you're not going to just hand this to anybody. So Uh my business was to cover vacation routes for them so that they could go on vacation. And when I started at 19, these guys that own these routes, they hadn't been on vacation in 10 years. And I'm not even exaggerating. They worked every day for 10 years. So when I came on the scene and I proved that I could do a good job and that I was able to trusted with a $250,000 business, um, my business exploded that first year. So you're 19. How, how I'm just. How does this work? Do you have to get your own truck? And I mean, or how did you find the resources to like start this up? This is the beauty of this, Lana. <laughs> I use, um, all I use their truck. Um, I uh-huh. use all their equipment. I didn't. I didn't need anything of my own. I just use all of their stuff. The only thing that I had to do is show up and just do a good job on the brother out. And at the end of the week, they gave me a truck. Wow, and and uh, this is like a readily a, a constant source of income. I mean, there's enough vacation time that you have to cover for this to be steady flow income. Well, in the I lived in Wisconsin at the time, and in Wisconsin there was 163 of these um, independent distributors alone. Okay. So what would happen is every year, every August, I would put out a calendar for the following year, and I kind of had a seniority system of the people that first started working with me. And uh, everybody would go through, and they'd pick the weeks they wanted. So by the time the end of August came around, I knew where I was going to be on whose route for that whole entire next year. Amazing. So you had a good little setup at 19. So, I mean, it would appear nothing could possibly go wrong. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> but we are here talking today, so we know that clearly some things didn't really go as uh, Mr. Constable would like them to go then. Um, you, um, I guess sometime you just got dissatisfied with a, a secure income and knowing where you were going to be and, and getting up every morning delivering bread that just, that, I mean, most people would say, hey, this is living. No, not not quite. Um, what, what happened is the business quickly grew. It grew to the point where I had five employees, and I was operating in Wisconsin, Illinois, and Indiana. The business was generating half a million dollars in revenue. Mm-hmm. So all of that on the surface sounds great. The problem was I was 19, and I was a young hothead. I'm uh-huh. not even going to sugarcoat it for you. So <laughs> I would get all this money, hundreds of thousands of dollars, and I spent it like I was a millionaire. I bought uh-huh. All the best cars, all the best clothes. We had a, we had two houses at 19 years old. Me wow. And I had two houses. Yeah, so it was ridiculous. Um, and I just spent the money away. And then this is what really hurt. Um, I didn't take care of the taxes. So um, I took care of my taxes as far as doing them every year and filing this and that. Every year I would owe, you know, $20,000 in taxes. The, I, I just didn't pay that number. So, uh, so and after, Uncle, Uncle Sam will come knocking. Oh, he came knocking <laughs> pretty hard. <laughs> hey, Uncle Sam will say, hey, how you doing? Remember me? Uh, he, he doesn't even knock. Like, he just goes <laughs> to your bank account and he takes your money. And you wake up and you have all these overdrafts. And you're like, oh, I guess Uncle Sam was here. So, <laughs> yeah, I know that, after, right? He, he is really no uncle of ours, but okay. After, so... After six years, I had uh, amassed $180,000 in tax debt. And um, because I didn't know anything about running a business, even though the business was making so much money, I didn't know how to not be in the business, meaning I was always on the bread truck every day. So Mm -hmm. that meant I had to wake up at midnight to deliver bread every day for six years. And um, when I was 19, it was fine. We didn't have any kids at that point. But then when we had children and they started going older and they went to school and they had the, the plays and the PTA function and this and that, mm-hmm. all that stuff is at night. So mm-hmm. that meant getting done with the stuff at 9 o'clock at night and then waking up at midnight. So I was sleeping three hours a night for six years. Mm. So you well, never ev- evolved into your business where you hear the, okay, I've, I've grind and worked and labored so much. Well, now I sit in the office and I delegate the responsibilities of delivering this bread to my employees. You were always actively in it. Exactly. I didn't know anything about that stuff that you're talking about. <laughs> you know, you're supposed to grow to that point where you just sit in the office behind a desk and, okay, how, how do my guys do today? How many trucks went out? You know, you become that guy when... You know, your business grows well, so much, but you were always delivering the bread with the fellas. If I knew what I knew now, that's that's exactly how it would have gone, but I did not know any of that stuff back then. Okay. Now, I'm just – let's just say retrospect. Let's think about it now. Um, you – what would you recommend to somebody starting out in business? Um, what would you recommend the first thing they do so they don't go through, you know, Uncle Sam knocking on the door or whatever and, and things that you – because you had a profitable model there. Um, but just if you give a quick pointer to somebody, uh, real quick, what would you change now? Uh, the- I would say uh, start with the research. Um, okay. I, I had a good idea, but I didn't know anything about anything. So if I would go back, I would start with the research. I would research every aspect, the taxes, the expenses, um, uh, the profits. Every aspect of the business, of a business you're thinking about starting, I would research the heck out of it. 
Okay. Okay. Good stuff. Now, 19 is very young and, you know, that's usually the time where we've got a couple of directions that we can go in life. There was, um, you know, I'm curious how bread became the like, aha, I'm going to do this instead of, you know, some of us choose maybe to go to you know, higher education or something like that. Um, had you been previously exposed to the uh, delivering bread industry or? No, no. Um, what had happened is um, I grew up in a pretty strict home. My uh-huh. parents were there. My, my parents are from Africa. Um, okay. They're from Kenya. So um, it was their rules or um, something else. You, um, and a lot of times it was something else. But then as I got, um, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was um, some old school, um, we don't care what the laws are here in America type discipline. But okay. when I got 17, um, it was different. They said, if you don't like our rules, get out of the house. So at 17, being a young 17-year-old hothead, I left, and I was actually homeless. And wow. so um, I lived on friends' couches. I lived in the street for a little bit. And then, but I was always working. Like I started working at Burger King, worked my way up to working at Pepsi, um, a Pepsi driver, and then I got my own place and stuff like that. And then the bread was just kind of the next natural progression. Got you, got you. Okay. And let me just, so I can further grasp this concept, because I'm thinking bread delivery. So when I go to my major grocery store chains and I'm I'm fighting with this guy in the aisles as I'm trying to get my stuff, that was you, right? That was me. Okay. I'm like, why doesn't he move out of my way? I'm trying to get through. Okay, so that was you. The bread guys are over there like, man, why don't these people just leave? Why are they here? (laughs) He's always in my way. The shopping cart and me do not fit. Okay. All right, so now I have a picture of who you were. You were that guy I was frustrated with all the time. I apologize in advance now that I know uh, some of the struggles that you guys got to go to. Um, so you said you kept plugging away at it for six years, and then you were you got to the point where you were in, in debt, tax debt for you know uh, over a hundred grand there. Um, so I, I'm assuming that's the breaking point, then, right? Um, no, not really. <laughs> um, did. I continued to limp on, like I chipped away at the debt, and I continued just pretty much to limp on. But that's where the existing came in. I would just punch the clock, chip away at the debt. I would come home. I would sleep. I would have horrible because you know I'm working these odd hours. I'm always eating fast food. I had these horrible eating habits, so I gained 170 pounds. Wow. Um, it was just all bad. And then when you have money problems, you have marriage problems. So my sure. wife and I were just always fighting about money because there was never enough. And so really, the it did nothing. Really changed until 2011 was kind of where it changed, where I said, I got to break this cycle. I got to change my life. And I got all excited, as we normally do, and pumped up for about two weeks. And then, <laughs> yeah, I mean, two weeks, I was telling everybody, you listen, like, I'm changing my yeah, life. Yeah, I'm going to do this. And yeah, I've got this dream. I'm going to make this happen. And then you wake up one day like, I don't know what happened to that dream. Exactly. And then I, I would tell my mailman, the mailman came like, hey, mailman, I'm changing my life. He was like, great, here's your mail. <laughs> but the, 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 the finding breaking point for me, Lana, was um, actually the death of my father. He, he died mm-hmm. um, in the beginning part of 2012 of heart disease at 54 suddenly. So, yeah. And our last, like, five conversations, everything he said to me, like every conversation, it was, son, you know, I regret this, I regret that. And he wasn't there for most of my life. Him and my mom divorced when I was younger, so he wasn't there. 
and there was some, I had some bitterness towards him for a long time, and mm-hmm. he always tried to reconcile, but I wouldn't let him. Um, and right before he died, he just said, son, I'm, I regret how I handled this. He kept talking about all his regrets, and then he died. And mm. then that, the, that was the breaking point for me where I realized, you know, I'm going to die just like him without regrets. And, mm. and that's when I really started to make the changes. You know, that's something I, I try to tell people all the time. I said, there's going to come a point in time, you know, where we're sitting in our last moments and our last days. And you don't want to ever be at that point and say, I should have, I would have, I could have, because that 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 has to be such a pitiful feeling because you can't go back and change anything at that particular point. So do your best to live, you know, the optimal best you can while you have the opportunity. So, I mean... You know, unfortunately, through your father's tragedy, you kind of got exposed to that and got that that opportunity, that mental break to say, wait a minute, let me shift my life around here. And I mean, that's I mean, that's the best gift your father could have given you, even in the the discord that you guys had. I I totally agree. Okay, so we're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back with more Kamanzi Constable right after this. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello. Welcome back. Today I am with uh, author Kamanzi Constable. of the. Uh, he's written the books, Are You Living or Existing? and Tales of the Everyday Working Man or Woman. And before the break, we were talking about the uh, passing of your father and how that allowed you to transition, start to transition into um, some better things in life. And so I'm, this was like 2011, you said? 2012. 2012. Okay. So um, I'm guessing if I've, I've got this timeline right, your, your father's passed, you're, you're in a job that you're not or you're in a career that you're not happy with, you've gained some weight, you're kind of, you've got a feeling that, you know, there's something else out there for you. Um, what do you start to do? What changes do you start to make? Um, so, well, the very first thing I knew I needed to work on was the job. Okay. Um, so something like that fed into everything else. Okay. And so I didn't have, as you said, I didn't have a college degree or any special skills. So I just kind of felt stuck. So I had tinkered around with what I wanted to do. And one thing that I had seen pretty cool on TV was event planning. And okay. I didn't have any trading, any knowledge, <laughs> any, anything. But you know what? It seemed cool. It seemed busy. Um, you could boss people around. You could, you got the clipboard. You're, you're in charge. So okay. I, I went and had business cards made. Commodity Constable Event Planner. Ah. <laughs> so you're planning events in in Wisconsin. I guess there's well, a. What's what's scary is I got a chance to put this to the test right away because my sister was getting married and she asked <laughs> me to plan the wedding. Okay. You laugh, but you're you're kind of nervous, aren't you? So two days into my first official event that I was planning, um, I had to resign because oh. I didn't know <laughs> what I was doing. <laughs> um, it was a disaster. The caterers, everybody was complaining. They're like, this guy's an idiot. And, like, my family was ready to disown me. So, yeah, I I realized event planning wasn't for me pretty quickly. Wow. Okay. I mean, and, you know, I must say, at this just 
point of hearing your story, you're amazingly brave because here it is as a man with a wife and kids he has to take care of. And he's going to say, you know what, I'm just going to strike out here on the unknown and I'm not really sure. But, you know, I've got these kids to pay for. I mean, and that in itself takes an overwhelming amount of courage right there. I mean, to not, you know, just kind of throw yourself out there and say, OK, I know I need to support my family, but, you know, I'm going to try this. Well, and I and I want to make it clear. While I was doing this, I still had the the day job. Okay, so okay. On the side. <laughs> no, I wasn't. I'm brave, but not crazy. <laughs> okay, so, okay, okay. So we do have some other source of income coming in here. So you're still yeah, doing the. I still had the bread income. And okay. Then, um, after the event planning struck out, um, one thing that I had always been passionate about that was always on my mind that I always loved was writing. Mm-hmm. But when I, you, I was younger, I never thought you could make money at writing, so I kind of gave that up. Mm-hmm. While, while all this was going on, the emotions of my father's death, I started journaling again. Mm-hmm. And one day I just looked down at this journal while the kids were at park, and I realized, like, this is a lot of material. I mean, the whole journal is full. Mm-hmm. And I thought, hmm, what could you really do with that? And it just so happened that that night I ran across the story of a woman named Amanda Hawking. And okay. she was a 19-year-old CNA from Minnesota. Um, she had written 17 novels by the time she was 19. So mm-hmm. she was a writer. And she tried to get them published a traditional route, and it didn't, it didn't happen. So she self-published her books, and a completely unknown author. She doesn't have this huge online presence, anything like that. But in an eight-month span, she was able to sell one million copies of her eight self-published books. Good stuff. And I'm reading her story in USA Today, and I thought, man, I could take this notebook, and I could self-publish it. I'm putting that in air quotes, because I didn't know what that meant at the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, nobody knows what self-publishing is until they're like halfway through the process and they're like, wait, maybe I shouldn't have done this, but too late now. Well, I, didn't know. I, didn't, I didn't even, I wasn't even on social media in 2012, so oh. that tells you how far behind the times I was. Like, oh, you're I, really I late, Freight. Oh, I resisted all of it. I'm like, I don't want to see what you're eating for breakfast. I was one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> so I figured out, okay, what is it going to take to self-publish this book? So it was about $900 to get everything done. I didn't even have $900. So that <laughs> summer, to get 900 bucks, I went up and down um, my where I lived in Milwaukee. I cut grass. I washed cars. I cleaned people's houses. I did whatever it took my entire summer to get that 1900 bucks. And, and that's what happened at the end of that summer after all that uh, work. And uh-huh. it was like the happiest day of my life. So this book is being put together. I'm getting ready to put this out to the world. I joined social media because that's what Amanda Hawking had done. Mm-hmm. Um, got my friends, and I started promoting. I'm doing that in air quotes again. Um, <laughs> and what that meant was going on Facebook once an hour and posting a link to the book on mm. my website. Yeah, because I didn't understand anything about how Facebook works. I thought it works like Twitter. So <laughs> people kept unfriending me, and I'm like, why is everybody unfriending me? I'm like, what's going we, on here? We don't, we don't want to hear your constant promotion. No, you have to interact with us. This is like friend space on the Internet. No, I want to talk to you, and you have to talk to me. And I mean, a lot of people don't get that about social media, so you're not the only one there. No, and then, you know, to, to make a long story short, what ended up happening was I put this book out there. I thought I was going to sell all these copies like Amanda did. I didn't sell anything. Like, that first day, it was zero sales. Like, I checked the sales every hour, Lana. Like, every hour I checked them. 
<laughs> You're like, something must be wrong with this email system here or something. Maybe well, they're not like, getting to oh, me. Oh, my mom said you were going to buy this. Where are you, mom? You didn't buy the book? I'm like, what's going on? And in a six-month span, I sold five copies. Two of those I had bought, and three of those were to friends. So, like, this was a complete failure. And right when I was ready to give up, Lana, is when a young guy who was reading my blog said, hey, man, you inspired me. I'm going to go quit my job. Oh, and wow. I, I emailed him back. I'm like, I don't know whose blog you're reading, but I didn't tell you to quit your job, dude. <laughs> that, <laughs> See, like, that, that wasn't me. <laughs> me. Nope. But I said, let's get on the phone and let's talk about it. So we got on the phone, and I'm an introvert, Lana, so it was awkward. Like, it was oh. really awkward. But we figured out what he wanted to do. We actually did the research. We put a plan in place, and he landed his dream job within the month. And when he called me crying and his wife was crying and he was all happy, that's really when my dream was realized. It wasn't to write or speak or bread or anything else. It was just to help people that were where I was that felt stuck, like they had no other option to break free and to really create true freedom in their life. And so from that point on, I didn't talk about the book anymore. I didn't promote it. All I did was just write, and that's when I became a writer. And I wrote about things like when my wife and I were separated because of the debt, the time we had to file bankruptcy um, because of this foolish spending, our cars being repossessed. Like, I wrote about all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And people are like, I cannot believe you are writing about this stuff. But thank you, thank you. This is what I'm going through, and I've just been afraid to talk about it. And my following started to build. And then from there, it was just a matter of strategy. I was able to get some of my articles featured on some really large websites that I had read and I respected. I did what, you know, it's called guest posting. Mm-hmm. And um, in 20, by the end of 2012, um, I had gotten half a million visitors just from the different articles I had written for 50 different websites. So I was out there hustling. And um, I had gotten half a million people. And obviously, half a million people coming to your website, they're going to buy your book. And so um, over that whole year span, my two self-published books went on to sell um, 82,000 copies. Congrats, congrats. And you said two self-published books, and the other one, um, the first one you wrote was which one? What was the name of the first one? The second self-published book was then um, when the book started doing really well, um, I started getting attention from publishers. And publishers came and they gave me offers. And, like, the first one, Lana, I got in the mail. Like, I thought somebody was punching me. Like, I called my friend. I'm like, are you guys doing this? I'm like, what is this? They're (laughs) like, no, it's not us. And these were actually book offers. And I did end up signing with um, Soundwiz and Books. And so that second self-published book, we went through. They said, okay, this is smart. This is dumb. Okay, let's work on this. And we we went through and we we revamped it. And that book is now called Are You Living or Existing? Nine Steps to Change Your Life, and that is the that is my first traditionally published book. Okay, so the Tales of the Everyday Working Man, that was the one with the five copies, right? Yep. Oh, okay, okay, so now um, the second one is Are You Living or Existing with the Nine Steps? Okay, I just wanted to make sure I've got my, my time life, a timeline there correctly. So when you started, and I think people don't, understand that when you start helping others that's kind of when your blessings come along and 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 you did mention there that you know it wasn't until you know this guy said that he was gonna you know quit his job and and do that you said oh whoa 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 let's sit down and let's talk about that um and that actually uh, segued into part of what you do now is you kind of help people find their path exactly 
because I know how hard it is um, to be at that place and then to try to transition and all the emotions and all the logistics of everything that's going on. So that's that's what I want to do is I want to help that person get through it. Okay, okay. And I also want to let everybody know, because um, we've been talking about uh, – Wisconsin, 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 in the Midwest for now. But that's that's not where you're currently living, correct? No, I'm, uh, 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 the, the last two pieces of that equation um, that we kind of that I didn't tell you was when I started to make the change with the job. I also started to make the change with my weight, mm-hmm. and so I started eating better. I started taking care of my body, and I was able to lose 170 pounds. So I lost um, all all the weight that I had gained. And then the last piece of that equation was moving here to Maui, Hawaii. So that's that's where I'm talking to you guys from. Is I'm in Maui, Hawaii. We officially moved here um, April 8th of this year. Wow. So 2012 to 2014, we have gotten successful books out there. We've lost over 100 pounds, and we've moved to Maui. That is quite a handful. Yeah. It's, uh, it's Well, it's amazing what happens once you – try to make change in one area of your life, how it just, it's all like dominoes, I guess they say, because once I made the one change, worked on the other changes, and it just, it all worked hand in hand. Okay, okay. So the um, the weight loss, what what was the motivation, what started you on that journey? Well, <laughs> well uh, that, that journey is also kind of crazy because I was the best man at my, my brother's wedding, and after the wedding, of course, uh, post, uh, p- pictures were posted on Facebook. And when I saw how large I looked in those pictures, I'm like, you know, this is out of control. <laughs> so this was this was actually six years ago. Um, I, I, I said, I got to lose weight. So I, I went at it the way I kind of go at things. I'm like an all-in person. Mm-hmm. I'm either going to jump in head first or I'm going to stay away. So there's like no in-between. I'm, I'm definitely working on that long. So, um, but... <laughs> I started eating like this crazy diet. It was like a, a 1,200 calories a day, and okay. I was working out for four hours a day in the gym, and I lost um, 132 pounds in six months. But wow. I didn't learn what it meant to be healthy. So okay. that whole next year, I gained all that weight back. Oh, my. So, yeah, all of it, plus plus another 38 pounds. <laughs> so Fast forward to when I'm starting to make all these changes, I was the best man at my best friend's wedding this time. Mm-hmm. Same situation, pictures were posted on Facebook. I cried, of course. Mm. Um, and I started, again, two days after his wedding, I started up again. But this time, it wasn't going to be diet and weight loss. I wanted to learn what it meant to have live a healthy lifestyle, not okay. just dieting. So I, I really started to understand food and understand how it affected my body. And I didn't do the crazy diet, but I did give up soda. Like, I haven't had soda now in a year and a half. Good, um, good. I gave up the fast food, and I, you know, I have a really wicked sweet tooth. So I'm not going to lie sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> That's like me. That's like me. I can kill some chocolate and some double-stuffed Oreos. Exactly. I, I so understand. I am right there with you. But to get the, the meal portion, all I did was exercise portion control. So I looked, you know, I didn't know any better. And I like to keep it simple, so I just use my palm as a guide and just did portion control meals. And uh, over time, as I did that, it, it didn't take as much to get full. And so it was just strictly portion control, eating more fruits and veggies. And, I mean, since in the last six months, I've actually even become a vegetarian. So I gave up meat completely. 
um, which was very hard to do. But at this point, I don't I don't think about. No, no, I'm just saying welcome to my world. I have been a vegetarian for 14 oh, years, so cool. a welcome amongst us, you know, join yeah, the party. It's a wonderful so, thing. <laughs> well, and, and the motivation for that was I read a book called Born to Run by Christopher McDougall. And my, my, my mom is from Kenya, um, and I lived in Kenya for two years. Uh-huh. So um, all we did in Kenya, honestly, was run, and we did it all barefoot. I mean, I didn't wear shoes for two years. Uh-huh. And, um, stepping on rocks, nails, it, it didn't matter. Your feet, like, become hard. So when I wanted to exercise here and lose weight, um, running just seemed natural for me. So I started out that first time. I almost had a heart attack when I ran that first mile. Yeah, it was it was really bad. But then I just slowly built up my endurance to the okay. point where um, today, you know, like this morning, I told Lana, I woke up this morning, I ran 10 miles. Um, wow. This, this weekend, on Saturday, I'll be running 26.2. And so um, it, it took time, and I built that up. And, and between the, just the exercise and portion control, learning to be healthy, and then incorporating the running and some other exercises as a part of my lifestyle, um, the weight came off. Good stuff. Good stuff. Amazing. Um, I think we are at the time for another commercial break here. Hold on, because I want to come back and talk about this other transition to Maui. That's amazing to me. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Let's return to Don't Box Me In with your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello, hello. Author of Are You Living or Existing? And also Tales of the Everyday Working Man or Woman, Mr. Kamanzi Constable. Before the break, we were talking about his amazing transition with the weight loss. Now, I just want to kind of re-bring up. You said you are going to run how far this upcoming weekend? <laughs> 26.2. Woo-hoo-wee. You are so my hero. I, well, I tell you what, I will be sitting on my couch eating my double stuffed Oreos and rooting you on. That's about as close as I get to running anything. <laughs> so uh, well, that is I'm, that is truly impressive. I'm running the Maui Marathon on September 21st, so yeah, I've been training for that. Okay, okay. So uh, just out of curiosity, is this a family thing, or are you the only solo one out there doing this crazy stuff? Uh, I'm going to do it. The family's not going to do the marathon. Um, so they're going to do the the walk. Like the, the cheerleading. The they're, they're the walk. cheerleading squad, right? Yeah, although my wife does run a mile every day. Okay, okay. Even she is better than I am. I just, I think about it. I think about it. That's part of the battle. You know, well, I'm not a good my- husband because <laughs> she'll run, like, later in the day, and then she'll, she'll say, honey, can you run with me? And I'm like, hey, I already ran 10 miles this morning. I don't want to run anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Get one of the kids to do it. You know, by the way, how many kids do you guys have now? Three. Three kids. Oh, okay, okay. Congratulations. So, you know, um, we are going to – so everybody was born in Wisconsin, all the kids? Everybody, oh. yeah. We were, we were all born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, let me see if my memory is correct. Is that uh, – well, I don't know. You're you're a young guy, right? How old are you? Uh, Thirty-three. So you don't remember Laverne and Shirley. Is that the town where Laverne and Shirley was? Yep, that is the town, though. <laughs> okay, okay. All right, I just had a flash there. So you are now, like we mentioned, you are now living in Maui. And Milwaukee, Wisconsin to Maui is um, beyond a drastic lifestyle change. How did how did that happen? 
<laughs> and we had come here in 2010, mm-hmm. and we just, uh, it was like a belated honeymoon. And okay. as soon as we got off the plane, like, I don't know, I don't want to get all, like, woo-woo on you. <laughs> we just felt something, like, just, I don't know, we just felt something, like, uh-huh. just a kindred spirit with the island. And so we went on a vacation. We, we had a good time. We stayed at an oceanfront place. And um, as we started packing up to leave, we were like, how cool would it be to live, to, to retire here is what we said first. Huh. And we were like, yeah, that'd be cool. So we got on a plane. We were talking about it. We come home, and you jump into everyday normal life. And, you know, mm-hmm. eventually the Hawaii talk faded. Mm-hmm. But then when my father died and we started to make these changes, and really want to live a life no regrets. We said, you know, remember we talked about Maui? Are we serious about that? Mm-hmm. And we both were. Um, but it was logistics. Well, how, you know, how are you going to move to Maui? Like, that's crazy. Sure. And it's so expensive there and this and that. And then in 2012, um, when everything started taking off, and I actually started speaking as a part of, you know, I was writing. And mm-hmm. then I started speaking. I got an invitation to speak at an event in in Honolulu in Hawaii, okay. and it was the Hawaii Social Media Summit. So okay. we came back out here again, and again, <laughs> felt like the same thing. And at that conference, we were telling everybody, like, yeah, we're going to move out here. And they're like, yeah. Like, they didn't believe it. <laughs> so when Let's... we got back um, in 2012, this was in October of 2012, we're like, we really got to make this happen. We really do. And so it took, obviously, we started talking about this seriously in October 2012. We didn't move till April of this year. So it took a long time to work out all the logistics of, of how to make this move. And more than anything, it was the logistics of saving up enough money because, um, and I'm glad we did. The first month that we were here in Maui, we went through $4,000 like it was nothing. Um, I was getting ready to say, sold. like, either rent or a mortgage or something. Hawaii is, like, crazy expensive. Yeah, I mean, um, we, in Wisconsin, I mean, it was my parents' place, but we had a huge um, four-bedroom place, you know, 2,300 square feet, whatever you mm-hmm. want to, it was big, right? Um, and that was 600 bucks. Here's mm-hmm. probably a three-bedroom, um, one-and-a-half bath, probably about 1,500 square feet, and it's uh, 1,300 yeah, yeah. Hawaii exactly. is, uh, yeah, my stepsisters, I think I had that email. My stepsisters are out there, and it's it's no joke. Hawaii is amazingly expensive. But, yeah, so uh, you know, but it's not, you're doing it. You do it. So you said the first month you got there, um, I mean, you had saved up first before getting there. Were you, before this, were you still doing the bread thing, or had you quit that completely, and you were fully gung-ho running with the book and the speaking thing? I, I quit the bread thing at the end of 2012. Okay. So, uh, it was all of 2013. It was my first year doing bread and speaking. And I mean, the speaking portion of it was probably the biggest thing in 2013 because I had spoken at events in Australia, Israel, Japan, Kenya, okay. London, Paris. Like I'd been to some pretty cool places to speak. Cool, cool. So when it came time to move to Maui in 2014, you and your wife were comfortable that the income was steady enough to you, for you guys to make that transition. Yeah, we were um, we were beyond comfortable because okay, we okay. had an amount that we said we wanted to be at, and I'm like, you know, we just need to be above that just in case, and I'm glad we did because, you know, people move here to, to, to Hawaii all the time, and, you know, as Lana's sister probably tells her, they spit you, it spits you right back out if you're not ready. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. 
So um, the kids are adjusting well, and they, they like in Hawaii. Um, it's it's a lot of adjustments because <laughs> well, it's an island. Um, they love it. They love the fact that we live in a place called Kihei here in Maui, where it's a little bit of a drier side of the island. It doesn't it doesn't ever rain here. Like I think in the time that we've been here, it's rained like, and I'm not even exaggerating. But we had that hurricane here not too long mm-hmm. ago. But all we got was rain from that. But that was like the only day it's really rained when we've been here. So they love the fact that they can go outside every day. They made all kinds of friends here. And then the, the biggest adjustment was the last two years we had homeschooled our kids. Okay. So when we came here, we put them in, you know, regular uh, 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 public school. So that right there um, I would have thought would have been hard. But they're like, man, we missed, you know, going to lunch and hanging out with our friends and like our daughter, her our daughter, her name is actually Lana too. Oh, um, so yeah, pretty cool. And she yeah. comes home every day, and she'll talk for like two hours straight, telling us what happened at school, like nonstop. Cool stuff, you know. And I think they're going to probably appreciate Hawaii a lot better when it gets to be like December, January, and they don't have to go out in that Wisconsin snow or those layers of coats and stuff like that. I think they're really going to appreciate Hawaii then. Yeah, I, I'm going to appreciate it. And, and, <laughs> no shoveling snow, right? What's crazy is, you know, it, we moved here when it was still relatively warm in Wisconsin. But I lost like 38 Facebook friends just by posting pictures of Hawaii. So I'm wondering <laughs> what is it going to be like in the winter when I'm posting pictures from the beach. <laughs> <laughs> too funny, too funny. Well, hey, you know, sometimes you got to do you, and that's what you and the, the rest of the constable family's doing. So, you know, hey, do that. Um, and now I'm getting all sidetracked here because, you know, I can talk about Hawaii forever. It's one of the places I'd enjoy visiting. Uh, but let me refocus myself here, um, and let's get back to living and existing. This, the, the book that you have, Are You Living or Existing?, one of the things that I constantly hear you talk about, and it's kind of what we've been talking about, the theme of today, is radical change. Can you tell me what radical change is? Yeah, it's it's, it's actually not what, I don't think it's what people think. It's mm-hmm. just changes in your life that people normally think as radical, but when you when you get down to it, it's not. So like losing maybe a bigger number of weight or moving to a place like Hawaii mm-hmm. or quitting your job to start a business or even quitting your job to start a better job. Like um, people will look at that on the outside in and not understand what's going on. And they'll think that that's radical to them when it's really not. And it's really attainable. Good stuff. Good stuff. And, you know, I was looking in your book, though, you have a it's like a worksheet that you recommend people do to kind of you know, get prepared to make these radical changes. Because like you said in the beginning, you know, sometimes we're like, okay, yeah, I'm going to do this. And then, you know, the mailman comes by like, yeah, right. And then you kind of start thinking, yeah, right, maybe. So, you know, you, you kind of create a step-by-step plan for people to kind of stay on task. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, because the plan is the key. Um, not planning ruined a lot of things in my life. But if you're going to make a, a big change or a radical change, um, you really have to sit down and figure out what are all the moving pieces of this, put this down on paper, what do I need to do today, what do I need to do tomorrow, and those little actions, that's what makes the big radical change. Cool, cool, cool. Well, Mr. Constable, we're going to take the last break of the day. Stay tuned, everybody. We'll be right back right after this.
Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello. Welcome, welcome back. Today I'm with Kamanzi Constable, the author of Are You Living or Existing? and Tales of the Everyday Working Man or Woman. And um, you also um, are wonderfully involved with writing for some various publications. And I was kind of searching around and scrolling around uh, like I do when I get prepared. And one of the articles that you wrote kind of caught my eye. And it is uh, for the uh, Good Men Project. And the title of the article was... Why I'm teaching my son to be an entrepreneur while my wife tries to get him a job. And for me, that was kind of, uh, it kind of struck, uh, interest in me because I have a friend and him and his wife are currently having this little debate. They have a son and my friend is an entrepreneur and he owns a roofing business. So he has a trade and, um, that provides for the family very well. But the wife, his wife, is kind of trying to instill in the son, you know, you need to go to school, you need to get an education, you need to go work for somebody. But then the husband is like, no, you need to get yourself a skill, you need to work for yourself, and yada, yada, yada. So you have this kind of debate in a household between husband and wife for what's best for their child. And I'm just wondering, because you've been on both sides of the coin, do you think there's a way to balance out these two trains of thought? Yeah, I think when when I thought about this and me and my wife were going through the exact same thing, <laughs> um, I think the thing, because we had some heated discussions, I'm doing air quotes again, um, mm-hmm. we had some heated discussions, um, <laughs> I think it comes down to and, and this, that you kind of have to let your child see um, all that's available to them. Mm-hmm. So you can let them see what's going on, like, you know, he knows what's going on with dad's business. He knows about the bread business. He knows about this business. He sees that's all involved. I'll give him small tasks in the business, like doing some social media stuff, like I'm um, doing some automation stuff, stuff like that, just small tasks, not throw him a couple bucks. And so, you know, he has a chance that way. And then he also, my wife was trying to get him a job at the library here, but mm-hmm. he's held jobs before. So um, I think you got to kind of let the child see both sides of it and really honestly um, all you can do is give him the information. He's got to be the one to decide what's going to be right for his life. Okay, okay. You know, because I guess you have to accept at some point we're not all designed to be entrepreneurs. Some of us really are designed to be nine-to-fivers and just accept that into individuals. And, you know, I guess sometimes as parents it's difficult because you kind of want to encourage them on the path that we're walking, but that not that might not necessarily be the path that's best for your child. So, like you said, giving them the exposure to their options and then letting them pick the best option for them. You know, I was laughing because I thought uh, you were referring to a, a, an article that I just wrote for Entrepreneur Magazine. Oh. Five, what, what five was, reasons why social media marketing is overrated. Oh, and you know, I am personally struggling with that, you know, because I, I'm kind of one of those ones where I don't want such a thing as social media to take up so much of my life, which it seems to do not only for myself, for other people. So, you know, I mean, that would be curious. Why is it the five things that you think social media is kind of like a wash? Well, the things that I had said in that article were, and I want to point out that um, I, I backed up everything I said with research, mm-hmm. um, but it's still a caught, you know, I mean, you know, it's still ruffled a lot of feathers, I'm sure you mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. But the points were that, you know, the organic reach is pretty close to zero. They mm-hmm. estimate that Facebook, you know, the organic reach of Facebook now is 2.7 to 1% mm-hmm. of people are actually seeing it organically. 
the lifespan of a tweet is 18 minutes, if even that. So the organic reach is, is close to zero, and, and we all know this is because these companies are public now. If you want to reach people, they want you to pay for it. Mm-hmm. So uh, and then the point, second point was that anybody can buy social media followers. Mm-hmm. So we've, we've seen everybody's gotten the email where you can get 30,000 Twitter followers for True. 30 bucks. Yeah, so anybody can buy followers. And there was a really popular video that I linked to on YouTube that even proved um, when you pay Facebook to get likes that some of those likes are fake as well. So mm. um, even when you're paying the source, those aren't good. And I said um, three was that um, you're building your business, your whatever, your platform on their their platform, not yours. So mm-hmm. this is Facebook's. If they decide they want to get rid of some element, they can get rid of it, and you can lose a lot of business. Like a lot of people now like to use groups. Groups is a really big thing in, in Facebook. Um, what if they started charging for groups or got rid of them? Sure. Like I, I have friends that have 8,000 people in their Facebook group. Um, I said, you need to get those people over to your website because if Facebook True. gets rid of it, your business is gone. True. And we saw this a lot in the SEO world. I mean, like a couple of years ago, people were SEO experts and this and that, and then a couple of Google al- algorithm changes, and they were toast. So you really don't want to build your house on a deck of cards. And then um, really the main point of that article that I said was that um, email marketing is still the best way to sell to your customer. So Facebook and social media is a good lead generator, but email marketing is where you actually can make the sale and and stuff like that. And then the, the fifth point was that people are just tired of being sold to on social media. True, true. You know, and I think I read somewhere on your website, though, that's kind of one of the things you promote, um, just to back it up a little bit, is building your email list, you know, um, getting your own source of contacts. And, um, you know, you because you'll never lose those. If Facebook, Twitter, and Google, all that stuff goes away, you'll at least still have your contact list. Exactly. And 100% of people, if they're on your email list, will see your email um, mm-hmm. versus the 2% that will see it on Facebook or, or wherever else. Yeah, because I think one of the things that people miss about this, and I had to tell my, my mother that when she first signed up for Facebook, is like with the timeline thing, it's, it's, if you're not there at the current time when somebody posts, you know, they might miss what you just said because they don't log on to see Facebook till three hours later. By that time, it's so far down on the news feed. It's not necessarily that people are getting the information that you post on social media, whereas if you email them your information, people are more likely to check their email. Exactly. Cool, cool. You know, and before um, we start to uh, wrap it up and get out of here, I want to make sure I mention to everybody um, this program that you have called the Dream Chasers Program. What what exactly is that? What's that all about? That's uh, uh, just my coaching program that helps people that if you're interested in creating like an online business or something that gives you like a little bit of freedom and location independence, that's a program that helps you get there. And, you know, we talk about your goals. Where, where do you want to be income-wise, um, business-wise? We put those goals down, and that's what we work towards. And I've been able to get some good results from my clients because I'm not, I'm not teaching stuff that, um, like some of the big Internet marketers would teach. They teach a lot of – they have a lot of great things and a lot of great programs, but those programs don't work if you're the little guy out here who doesn't already have a huge audience. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's where I'm coming from, the person that was building this on the side – they're building this while they have a day job. They're building this while they don't have a ton of money. Um, mm. that, that's who I want to help. Oh, so you're for the real-life entrepreneur, the, 
you know, I still have to go to work, entrepreneur. So that that is the um, what is it that you say? I'm the what is the the slogan from the everyday working man? So you're for that person who's kind of still in between. Okay, okay. So not Donald Trump just per se, but we're on our way to being Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah. No, because um, I don't know that many people could relate to him. <laughs> you know, people that are at his level could relate to him. But, you know, what about the guy down here that just is starting out in this and doesn't know anything about anything? He's not going to relate to Donald Trump, but I can help that person because I did it myself. Yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, that's kind of a misconception that people have with this, this concept of being an entrepreneur because – some people think that it's, oh, you know, I'm making, you know, six figures a year or something. But sometimes an entrepreneur is just that person who might make, you know, $60,000 a year and able to take care of their kids and, you know, send their kid off to college if need be or whatever. There's there's variant levels of being an entrepreneur, and there's a fit for every niche. Yeah, and if, what, what do you want to fit into your lifestyle? Do you want to work a bunch of hours to make that $100,000? Or would you feel more comfortable working 20 hours a week to make the 60? But then you get to enjoy a bunch of other things in life. True, true. There is a um, there's a quote at a restaurant. Uh, sometimes when I travel, I go into and there's this fisherman, you know, and he's sitting, you know, a Mexican fisherman. And he's sitting on the beach and you know he's catching his fish. And this businessman comes from, um, you know, he's observing him and he's like, oh, you know, I can make you all of this money and you know you can go ahead and have all these wonderful things in a house or whatever. And you know the fisherman's like, you know, I'm making enough to take care of my family and I get to enjoy my life. So when would I be able to? take care of my family and enjoy my life if I go with you. Oh, well, after you spend, you know, 15 years grinding like this and doing all of this, you know, then you'll get time for your family. And the fisherman's like, no, I would rather do that now and just make what I need to take care of myself. So sometimes, you know, you just have to find your equal balance in everything. So, you know, that's hopefully what you're teaching everybody. That's what I see you teaching everybody. Uh, Before we get out of here, please tell everybody, how do people pick up a copy of one of your books? Uh, yeah, so the best way is to head to KamanziConstable.com, which is K-I-M-A-N-Z-I-C-O-N-S-T-A-B-L-E, um, KamanziConstable.com. You could Google it because there's not many Kamanzi Constables out there. <laughs> I don't um, think so. <laughs> no, or you could go to LivingOrExistingBook.com, and that will redirect you to Kamanzi Constable, and you can see everything that's going on, and you'll see that I am a little wacky. <laughs> aren't we all though aren't we all so um, I have had the pleasure to spend today with Mr. Kamanzi Constable like he said please visit his website KamanziConstable.com um, K-I-M-A-N-Z-I C-O-N-S-T-A-B-L-E dot com pick up a copy of his books and you know learn more about how he can help you get on the path to living the life of your dreams uh, Kamanzi I've enjoyed you so much today thank you for hanging out with me thanks for having me this was fun Oh, thank you. Thank you. That is all for this week's show. I'll be back next week at the same time. Until then, remember when it comes to your dreams, the words can't and won't should never slow you down. There is always space to change and to grow. Don't be boxed in. Live your very best life. I am your host, Lana Reed, and I will see you next week.